So I just want to share with you, you know, for a couple minutes about really the goodness of God and the title. Um, the title that the Lord laid on my heart was uh, Beyond Blessed. That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, if I can just tell you, um, if I can take a personal moment and just give a testimony, I guess. You know, all my life, um, I struggled with uh, being anxious and worrying and not being in the right mindset. I know I've shared this with most of you um, or in spirit life. A lot of the battles that I fought growing up happened between my two ears. Uh, issues with depression, anxiety, whatever you want to call it. Um, one of the most powerful things that God ever did for me outside of obviously walking me through repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Ghost, one of the greatest revelations God ever gave me was that he's good and that his goodness dispels depression. His goodness gets rid of anxiety. His goodness is pure and holy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Can we all stand real quick and just, we're going to start in some scripture, then we're going to pray and just kind of dive into it today. The scripture that we're going to start with is a very common one. We've all probably heard it a million times, but it is Psalms chapter 34, verses 7 through 10. That's where we're going to start. Psalm 34, verses 7 through 10. Say amen when you're there. I'm going to read this one in the New King James. Psalm chapter 34, verse 7 starts with this. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I don't know how you can read scriptures like this and not just know and feel how good God is and almost be moved to the point of tears at just how pure God is. And he really does want to take care of his people. And today we can truly say that we are beyond blessed. God has blessed us so much more than we ever deserved. God has blessed us beyond any imagination in man's mind. God is so good. Truly, he is good. Let's all lift our hands. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time that we get to spend together. I pray that you would open our understanding. And if somebody needs that same revelation that you've given me on how good you are, I pray that you would pour that out. Make it as clear as day, Jesus. We know that there is no ambiguity. There's no misconception or confusion or mystery in who you are. So Lord, lay it out plain to us today. Help us to understand your word, to see how good you are and let your word that is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierce to the deepest parts of our heart today. Do some heart work on us, Jesus. And we just ask that your will be done. Let all flesh fade to the background so that you can step forward and do exactly what you wanna do. We give you glory and honor and today we recognize that you are good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can all be seated. <clears throat> I 
God is so good. And you know, in these scriptures, this is something that David points out a ton in the book of Psalms, is how good God is. And the life of David is extraordinary. It's, uh, it's like, a, like an old epic that you would read, the life of David. You know, I would rank it, um, obviously it's the word of God, so it's <laughs> the best thing that you could ever read, but it ranks in, in its uh, literature and, you know, however you want to describe it up there with some of the, the epic, the classics, right? Like we think of um, Odysseus and, and uh, you know, the, the fall of Troy and whatever as these great works, these great epic works. But the life of David um, is absolutely amazing. And you get to see him go through uh, a mind-blowing progression through his life. Just to summarize his life in a very short time, because that's not the main point of what I want to talk about, but um, we know that David was a young man when he was anointed king. We know that he was a shepherd. He tended his father's flock, and that's where he was at when, uh, I believe it was Samuel. Yeah, Samuel, the prophet, was coming to, to anoint the king and at the behest of God. Um, and after he was anointed king, he didn't become king quite yet. Saul was still in power, as we know. And uh, then David faces down Goliath as a young man still with that sling and, and the stone and throws it so hard it sunk into Goliath's skull. Like that's really what the scripture says. And uh, as a young man had so much faith in God, he stared down a giant literally as a young man and scripture doesn't even make it look like he was afraid because he had absolute faith in the God of the Israelites, absolute faith. So he goes from that triumph to then, you know, trying to minister to the, the tormenting spirit that came on Saul. Saul tried to kill him uh, in, in the throne room while David's playing the harp. Saul gets so upset that he grabs a spear and tries to skewer David to the wall. Um, and then after that, it, so, David has to run from this campaign that Saul launched to destroy David and prevent him from becoming king. And we get to see God provide throughout David's life. And we get to see, you know, that there were opportunities that David could have killed Saul, but David said, no, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Saul was still king. So he goes from running and basically him and his mighty men of valor being uh, exiles, essentially, uh, to the throne. And, you know, eventually um, God works it all out and, and David does become king and he's installed as the king of of Israel, and he brings the ark back to Jerusalem and then falls into temptation with Bathsheba and has a son, and God punishes him and takes that firstborn son, and then we get to see David repent and God restore him. You know, the typical, the typical story that chronicles a man like this is we get to see a rise and fall. But there's something different that happens in David's life. We see a rise, a fall, and then something that would be equated to a resurrection once again. A rise, a fall, and a rise again in David's life. And we get to read about that in the Psalms. You know, David wrote a lot of this stuff in very raw moments of his life when he was dealing with a lot of uh, issues, you know, from his past, when he was dealing with 
a lot of problems in his head when he was struggling, wondering, where are you, God? That's a common question that David asks in the Psalms, if you really read them. Where are you, Lord? How long will you remain silent? You know, but what's, what's amazing about David's mindset is that he asks those questions and we get to see his humanity. We get to see, you know, the emotion and, and, and we understand that it is okay to experience emotions like that in the presence of God. That's what David teaches us throughout Psalms. It's okay to have those, those dry moments and you know, those times where you're like, God, I don't know where you're at. I don't feel you. I don't hear you. I don't know what you're doing. But the amazing thing about David is that although he was going through and dealing with those emotions, he always brought it back to, yet I trust you. Yet you're good. That word good is one of David's favorite when he describes the Lord throughout the book of Psalms is that God is good. And we see, you know, just calling back to Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So David shows us that this is an area where you can test God. You can try him out, if you will, and he will show you that he's good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That was David's words. But good, this is something that I want to make sure we understand. Good in the Old Testament specifically, this word that shows up throughout Psalms is so much more than the way we use the word good. So much more. You know, good to us is almost like a slightly above par, right? Like it's not excellent, it's good. You know, it's okay. It's, it's better than the average, but not quite exceeding my expectations. That's how we use good a lot of times. Good in Scripture that is not the way it's used at all. Quite the opposite. Good is, uh, uh, denotes that God is self-perpetuating righteousness. That's really what this word good means, is that God creates righteousness and he is in and of himself righteous. That he is the perfect example, that he is above all of our human expectations, that he, uh, you know, is so far beyond anything we could expect. He is good. He is perfect and pure. He does not do evil. He is good, right? This is a powerful word, especially when we look back in the book of Genesis. You know, Genesis is extremely important. If you haven't read that book and studied it, please do. There's a reason why it's at the very beginning of the book. There's a reason why it's written the way that it is because it sets the foundation on how we understand scripture. It's the very beginning of beginnings. And what is the very first thing that it establishes in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis? That God alone is the creator, that he is perfect, that he is righteous, and that he is all-powerful and has all authority. Gen there's a reason why Genesis starts that way. But then look at the way God created in Genesis 1.1. When God created things, what did he say? It is good. God doesn't create subpar things. God doesn't make mistakes. And God doesn't create things uh, that we would explain as evil. Because he's good. So it is God's nature to be good. He's perfect. The scripture describes him as he is light and in him is no darkness at all. And what's really amazing about this, we also have other scriptures in the New Testament that say that God even works out the evil things for good. That the evil that's in the world because of sin, God can even turn chaos and wickedness into good things because he is good. 
He doesn't create wickedness, but he can turn those for good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. The people that follow him, God perpetuates goodness in their life, and he's the source of all goodness. Psalms chapter 25, verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read this one in the Amplified. I think most of my scriptures are either Amplified or New King James Version. But in the Amplified, it says this, uh, Psalm 25, verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in, in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. All, all, not just some or not just most, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and goodness and truth and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my wickedness and my guilt, for they are great. This is David again, highlighting the goodness of God. Good and upright is the Lord. Or he is pure and perfect, self-perpetuating righteousness, and he is upright meaning that his ways are not crooked, they're not meandering, they're not confusing, they're not uh, there to, to create problems in our life. No, he is upright and perfect in everything that he does. He is righteousness. You know, that's why we often say that when we're saved, God imputes his righteousness on us. In other words, we can't be righteous in and of ourselves, so we have to use God's righteousness. He has to give that to us because he is good. And unfortunately, as humans in flesh, we are not good. We're not. That's why we need a good God. But what's amazing is that even though even in those moments where we don't feel like life is good or life is fair or we, don't, we can't feel God or hear him, he is still good, even when we don't see it, because that's his nature. Everybody remember the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They stared down Nebuchadnezzar in a moment of life and death. You know the story, Nebuchadnezzar built an image of himself, a golden image, and said, when the music plays, everybody's got to bow down and worship this image. And of course, that was totally contrary to the law of the Israelites. Remember, they were like the only monotheistic, that was one of the major differences between them and all the other cultures around them. They did not worship idols or multiple gods. They worshiped the one true God. But when they, when they were in the middle of this problem, the music started to play and people bowed down and worshiped the image. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah decided they weren't going to because they served God. And so they didn't bow. And now they find themselves in the throne room of Nebuchadnezzar, a king who actually liked them. He uh, elevated them. This, this, this story occurs in Daniel chapter three, but before that, uh, Nebuchadnezzar elevated them to positions of power and influence because of the goodness of God that was shown in their life. The blessings, we'll talk about blessings in a minute, but the blessing that God poured out on these men, they, he, give, he gave them wisdom, he gave them understanding, health, they were strong. Uh, they were so much better than their class of other slaves that were taken. So they were elevated to positions of power. Nebuchadnezzar loved them. So he did something that he didn't do with anybody else. He gave them a second chance and said, okay, I like you guys a lot. I don't want to have to kill you, but you know the law. 
I wrote this law saying that if you, uh, you have to bow down to this golden image, you have to worship it when the music plays. So guys, I will give you another chance. This is what Nebuchadnezzar said. When the music plays a second time, please just bow down so I don't have to kill you. And the way that these men addressed the king blows my mind in a situation like that. They were facing a death penalty, right? They were about to be put to death because of their faith and because of their worship of Yahweh, the one true God. And they answered the king and said, you know what? We're not careful to answer you in this matter. Or what they were really saying is, we're not gonna mince words with you here, Nebuchadnezzar. We're gonna tell you like it is. We're not gonna dance around the subject. We're just gonna shoot you straight. We're not gonna worship that golden image, no matter what you say, because we worship God, or Jehovah is the word that's used there. We worship Jehovah. And then they said, (laughs) an amazing statement of faith. We believe that our God is powerful enough to deliver us out of your hand, whatever you wanna do. But then they said, and this takes faith right here, But even if God chooses not to deliver us, we're still going to worship him because he's good and he's faithful and just. So what happened? Nebuchadnezzar threw him into a furnace that was so hot, it killed his own soldiers that were carrying them to the furnace. And, you know, I don't know if Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah saw that fourth man. I don't know because we get Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. But Nebuchadnezzar looked in that furnace and saw four people, not three. And the fourth, as scripture says, and this is the way Nebuchadnezzar described that fourth one, is that the fourth one looks like the son of God. That there was something divine about this fourth person because we know that it wasn't just a person that was in the fire with them. It was God Almighty manifested or his theophany or something, but it was him manifested in that furnace. I wonder if those three Hebrew guys saw that. I don't know. But what it tells me is that no matter where we're at in life, even if we're going through a furnace, even if we can't feel God, we can have faith in his goodness, that he is there whether we feel him or not, and he is in the fire with us at all times. He does not leave us nor forsake us because he is good. He has made promises to be with us until the very end and then be with us for all of eternity. So he's not gonna leave his people because he's good. Nahum chapter one, verse seven says, the Lord is good, that very same word, same Hebrew word, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust him. Or he has intimate knowledge of those who trust him. He knows our name. He knows every detail about us. The New Testament says that he knows every hair that's on our head, but even farther than that, he knows every cell that makes up your body. He knows you through and through, your thoughts, your intents, your motives. He knows everything about you. And if you live for him, scripture says, Jesus says, when you get to the end, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But what does he say about those who don't choose him? Depart from me, I never knew you. There is a relationship here and the goodness of God drives him to form a relationship with us. It drove him to the cross. His goodness and his promise and his faithfulness drove him to the cross to die for our sins. 
because God is good. So God's good even when we don't recognize it. Psalm chapter 37, taste and see that the Lord is good. So now I hope we're all on the same page and understand that God's good. Because I want to talk about something that is so tightly woven in to the goodness of God. And that's the second part of, uh, of our opening text in Psalm 37. There is a, a line that's written there that says, a blessed is the man who trusts in him. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You know, blessings in Scripture are linked to God's goodness. He pours out blessings because he's good. And actually, this is a very powerful subject to study the blessings of God. Because a blessing is not what we think it is. A lot of times when we hear God has blessed me or God has, you know, blessed me financially or God has blessed me with a healing or God has blessed me with uh, understanding and wisdom, that is all true. But I want to shift our focus. A blessing is not something God did for you. A blessing in the original Hebrew language literally translates to the release or manifestation of the fullness of the goodness of God in someone's life. A blessing is not what God does, although that is a byproduct and that is part of a blessing, but a true blessing is God revealing and releasing his goodness into somebody's life. That's really what a blessing is. And, and you know, what's amazing about this is when you study Jewish culture, they pray blessings every day because they understand what's happening when, they, when they're quoting and praying these blessings. And if you look in the Old Testament, you see patriarchs laying their hands on their kids and blessing them. That's what scripture says. What they're literally doing is laying their hands on their kids and releasing the goodness of God into their life. They're releasing these blessings that God can use to reveal his goodness and to show them how good he truly is. This means that to have a blessing is to have God manifest the fullness of his goodness, which is the fullness of his love, his grace, his peace, his joy, his faithfulness, his long-suffering. All of those things that we call good for, we get to receive through blessings the full revelation of what that's like, the full understanding of how good God is. Because what happens when we talk about these blessings and what God's done in our life, we can't help but recognize how good God is. When we say the Lord has blessed me financially or the Lord has blessed me with a healing, what are we really saying? God is good. That's what we're really saying. God has done something so good that I did not deserve, that he's revealed himself good and faithful in my life. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 27. This is a, a blessing that's probably most recognizable in Scripture. If you don't know just from the, from the book and chapter and verse number, when we start reading this, you'll have heard it. I'm going to read it in the Amplified because it gives us a little extra understanding. The Lord bless you and keep you. That is to protect you, sustain you, and guard you. The Lord make his face shine upon you with favor and be gracious to you, surrounding you with loving kindness. 
the Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you with divine approval and give you peace that is a tranquil heart and life. So Aaron and his son shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. God speaking, I will bless them. I will reveal my goodness to them. You know, this particular blessing occurs right after the completion of the tabernacle in Numbers. Numbers chapter 7 is where the tabernacle is finished and all of the children of Israel gather together and make offerings for the first time in in a tabernacle-type setting. And this is what God tells them to do at that consecration. Because if you look at Numbers chapter 6, verse 23, God is commanding them to bless the children of Israel in this way, to tell them this, pray this over them. Scripture also says in Leviticus chapter 9 that Aaron and the priests would lift their hands and quote blessings over the children of Israel, proclaim these blessings or release the goodness of God in the lives of the Israelites. After the laws were given and the tabernacle constructed, God blessed the children of Israel. And this particular blessing is called the priestly benediction in English. And it said every day in Jerusalem. This blessing is prayed every day in Jerusalem. It's also prayed on every Shabbat. And it's prayed uh, on pretty much all of the Jewish holidays. This one in particular. And it starts by saying, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. That's how they recognize God. Has anybody watched The Chosen before? I remember hearing that show up over and over again. And as they would start their prayers in that that show, that's what they would say. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. So I took a little bit deeper dive. And this is the way they start prayers. They approach God by recognizing who he is, that he spins the universes that he is king of all things. But Aaron spoke these words over the children of Israel at the consecration of the tabernacle. I mean, look at this blessing. The words are so beautiful. I mean, it really reveals the heart of God, the way he wants to interact with his people. He says that, that God desires to sustain his people. He desires to provide for his people. He desires to protect his people. He desires to show love and to give peace to his people. What a loving God. What a good God. His heart is to have a relationship with his creation. We understand this. In in the book of Genesis, sin separates us from God and from others. That's sin quite literally is a wedge that divides us either from God and or those around us. Look at the Ten Commandments. We have the commandments against God and we have the commandments against one another. And God's whole point is to reconcile that that wedge, that divide, to provide a way, a bridge over that divide so that we can have relationship with him again because he's good. Blessings are so much more than just a a good little saying or little prayer or even a miracle. As the language revealed, blessings are to release the goodness of God into somebody's life. You know, when God does something, like we've already established, it reveals how good he is. 
We get to see his faithfulness at work and enjoy the benefits of being connected to a God who cares about us because he's good. I'm gonna keep saying that because he's good. But looking back at the blessing in numbers, this blessing is still echoing through every generation of God's people. And you know what's really cool about being Gentiles, I guess? Because we're not Jews. Most, I don't think anybody here is Jewish, right? Nobody's Jewish here? No, we're, we're Gentiles, we're the church. But scripture says this, Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 18, talks about the Gentiles. But if some of the branches were broken off and you Gentiles, being like a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them to share with them the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support, uh, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. As you know, Israel, all throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, is described as the olive tree. The olive tree. And we Gentiles, because of the sacrifice that Jesus paid, we're allowed to be grafted in to that olive tree. We're allowed to enjoy the benefits and blessings that come from the root, which is God. We're allowed to experience his goodness and his faithfulness and his love and joy and peace and long-suffering and all of this, all the goodness of God. We're allowed to enjoy that because the sacrifice of Jesus was not just for the Jews, although it was to the Jews first, as the scripture says, but then to all other people, the people that didn't have mercy and have now obtained mercy, as scripture says. We were the ones that were flung across the world. We were far off from God, but now God has engrafted his church. And we get to enjoy the blessings of being connected to the root, which is God. You know, but this is one of the reasons why blessings show up so much in the Old Testament, why the Jews pray blessings every day, because it's not just a prayer. It's not just going through the motions, but it is to release the goodness of God. You know, if blessings are to release the goodness of God, what would you say is the greatest blessing of all time? The thing that comes to mind when you think, what is the most, uh, uh, what is the, the greatest peak of the goodness of God? His love, his mercy. I can sum, go ahead, says Carla. that he robed himself in flesh and became our sacrifice. We can sum all of this up into one thing, the gospel. The gospel is the greatest blessing of all time. What more can release the goodness of God in somebody's life than sharing the gospel with them? I mean, that just shows the heart of God and, and his core characteristic of being good that he robed himself in flesh, came to this earth, died on a cross, was buried and resurrected again on the third day. And now we get to see him pouring out his spirit, people being baptized in the name of Jesus and repenting of, them, of their sins. And God provided a way of salvation, how good God is. I can't think of any other blessing that reveals the goodness of God like the gospel does. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 in New King James says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for everyone. 
Now we get to see a blessing break through just the Jewish boundaries, but now it's uh, uh, echoing throughout the entire world that the sacrifice that Jesus paid was so good and so perfect that it not only can save the Jews, but can save every Gentile as well. This is the ultimate testament of the goodness of God. The Lord has blessed us in a way that has eternal implications because now most of the blessings that we read about and, and pray over one another are for this life. We pray for financial blessing when we need it. We pray for healing. We pray for provision, for wisdom, for understanding, for clarity, and all of those things we should pray for, but the gospel penetrates the temporal. It's not just for today, but it is a blessing that exceeds just time. It goes all the way into it eternity and it allows us to have a relationship with our creator it allows us to enter into eternity with him to avoid the second death and to be with him forever in a perfect place the goodness of God made manifest in the gospel you know the thing about blessings that we see throughout the bible especially in the example we get with the patriarchs their fathers would pray over them a blessing. And then when they got old, they would pray over their children a blessing. And it went through their generations because that's the nature of a blessing. When God reveals his goodness to you, it is not just for you. It's for you to then reveal the goodness of God to other people. We are to bless other people. That is revealing the goodness of God to all those around us because a blessing is not just for me. It's not just for you. It's for everyone around us. You know, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 39 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Because Peter preached a pretty convicting message about who Jesus is. And the Jews that were there realized that they had crucified the Messiah. That they missed it. And the man that hung on the cross was the one who has come to save them. So they were cut to the heart, as Scripture says, or they were convicted or they were conflicted in their mind. They were hurt by what was said, but that conviction then prompted them to ask a question. Okay, so we messed up. What do we do to make it right? What do we need to do to move on from this and still have communion with God? And then Peter gave them the steps in the gospel message. Then Peter said unto them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how we enter back into communion with God. Because like we established, sin separates us from our creator. But God is so good that he provided a way to be connected to him again. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, be filled with the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't just stop there because that message was not just for those people that heard it in that particular setting. No, because verse 39 says, for this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. You think about back in the Old Testament, the way these patriarchs bless the next generation. We have the same example here. This promise of God 
continues to bless the next generation, the next generation, the next people, the next uh, ethnos, as scripture says, the next ethnic group. God is interested in saving everyone. Brother Rob brought up a scripture in 2 Peter that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. What that means is God doesn't delay or postpone his promise. That's what it's saying. But his will is not that any should perish, but all come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to endure the second death. God doesn't want anyone to be separated from him for all of eternity. That is not God's heart because he is good. He desires all people to come to repentance. And he's made a way so that we don't have to go through the second death. He's made a way so that we can be in heaven forever. We're beyond blessed. So much more than we ever deserve. He did all of this for us, blessing us, releasing the fullness of his goodness in our lives. And then what did he do? He entrusted us with this blessing. He entrusted the the Jews that believed and he entrusted the Gentiles that believed the church with the message, with the blessing of the gospel. And it's not our job to just receive this good news And for us to be baptized and repented and be filled with the Holy Ghost and for us to live holy and be sanctified until Jesus comes. No, it's not just for us, everyone. It's not just for us. Because a blessing, a captive blessing is never what God intended. He intended blessings to be released once given. That's what we do with the gospel. He has entrusted us with the greatest blessing that has ever come to this earth. And now our expectation is to bless others, to minister to those around us. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16 say this uh, in the Amplified. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, to all creation. Not just to the Jews, not just to the Ethiopians, not just to the Samaritans, but all creation needs to hear this good news. All creation needs to receive this blessing. He who has believed in me and has been baptized will be saved from the penalty of God's wrath and judgment, but he who who has not believed will be condemned. God doesn't want any people to be condemned. We've already established this. So he has entrusted this blessing to the church. When you look at Matthew, the Great Commission as well, there's a word that's used, ethnos. I think I already said it, but that Greek word ethnos is ethnicities. It's not just every nation as we would describe a political division, but no, it's every people group needs to hear this message. It doesn't matter if you're from uh, Ethiopia or from Germany or Norway or the United States or Mexico or, or Canada. It doesn't matter. Every ethnic background, every person needs this blessing. Because Paul says that the gospel has the power to save. Let's all stand. Truly the gospel. This is truly blessing somebody. I mean, imagine or remember how you felt when you received that gospel message. Remember how you felt when you repented of your sins, when you were baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of those sins, and then being filled with newness of life. That's the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues. Remember how you felt. The goodness of God, the fullness of the goodness of God was made manifest in our life in those moments. It's our duty to share that with others. That is truly blessing someone. 
is revealing the gospel to those who need it. Look at this scripture. This is the last one we're gonna read. God knows how to give a good gift. God knows how to give a good blessing. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 in the Amplified says this, if you then being evil, that is sinful by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and continue to ask him? He knows what we need. He knows how to bless people. The best blessing we could ever receive is the gospel and being filled with the Holy Ghost. You know what's really cool about this scripture is that he specifically references the Holy Spirit. That he's, you know, he's talking to these people and he's sharing with them, you know, people are sinful. People uh, as humans, like we were evil, really. And he says, as Brother Rob said, Jesus really liked to use physical examples to get a spiritual message across. Because that's what we understand, right? But he uses that, the relationship between a father and a child and how a father takes care of and gives gifts to a child. And he uses that example saying, if you being sinful by nature, being evil, contrary to the goodness of God, and you know how to give a good gift to your child, how much more does God in heaven know how to take care of you? But he says specifically to give you the Holy Spirit. Because what is the Holy Spirit? I mean, it is truly the the spirit, the very essence of God. It is God inside of us. What better blessing could we get? And that's what the gospel talks about. Receiving the spirit of God through repentance, being baptized in the name of Jesus, and then him filling us with his spirit. That's why the gospel is so powerful. There's no other message like it. It is the epitome of the goodness of God. When I think about that, you know, I I was talking to Sister Carla before this, and I remember something Brother Putnam used to say. The closer you get to God, the more inadequate and sinful you feel. Because God's good. We've established what that means. He's perfect and he self-perpetuates righteousness. And we realize when we get close to God, it doesn't matter how good we think we are. It doesn't matter how righteous we think we are. We're still so inadequate. And when I think about that and how God being good has blessed us with the gospel, man, we didn't deserve that one bit. I know I've said this before in spirit life, but we deserve to be on the cross. We deserve that because of sin. That and worse, the cross and eternal separation from God. That's the punishment for sin. But yet God is so good that he set his robe of glory aside and took on a robe of flesh and walked on this earth, this filthy, disgusting earth that's full of wickedness and sin, and walked among his creation who rejected him. I mean, he put himself through that because he knew that the blood of bulls and goats cannot save a human person. It can only roll the sins ahead another year until the next day of atonement, until the next sacrifice, and just keep rolling it ahead. It cannot forgive sin. 
So Jesus being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, he came to this earth and was put through torture by the hands of his creation. Think about that. He created humans and put himself in subjection to that torture. And he did all of that, took stripes on his back, bruises on his body, a thorn of crowns to be mocked and spit at by the very people that he formed with his own hands. And then, not only that, had to drag a cross. The very thing that was going to kill him had to drag that to the place of his execution. Not only that, but then to be nailed to that cross, the excruciating pain. And not only that, to be stabbed in the side by a spear and blood and water flowing out of his gut. And not only that, but then to die. Dude, we did not deserve that. For our God to do that for us. And then after he went through all that excruciating torment, the torment itself before the cross should have killed him. It would have killed any other human. But then he was put in a grave that he didn't even own. It was borrowed. But the story doesn't end there. Because God's good, it doesn't end there. He got up out of the grave still having the scars in his hands and the scars in his feet and the piercing in his side. I believe we're going to see that one day when we see Jesus. We're going to see... We're going to see the scars from the torment that he took, but yet it will be a glorified body like Thomas. And he's going to say, here, look, like what he did with Thomas. Here, look, put your hand in, my, in these scars. Put your hand in my side. And what was Thomas's reaction? Fall on his knees and say, you are my Lord and my God, and you are good. Man, God is so good. What a blessing. What a blessing. I want to encourage you right now, if you have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit, it is for you. If you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus, it is for you. And God wants to do that in your life right now. And if you have received the fullness of the gospel, you've repented of your sins, been baptized in the name of Jesus, and filled with the Holy Ghost evidence of speaking in tongues, God's desire is for you to share that with everyone you come across, with all your whole world that surrounds you. Because God God's heart is to save people. He desires relationship with his creation, the people that he formed with his own hands. He doesn't want to be separated from creation. He wants to save. Can we all come to the front today? I'm going to open this altar. Let's all come down. God is so good. And that's what I want us to focus on today, that God is so good. Don't think about all the problems that you have going on right now. Don't think about the anxious thoughts. Don't think about the, you know, the, the issues that are happening in life. No, the way to conquer depression and anxiety is to focus on the goodness of God. That is the way you overcome situations. That's what God taught me because I remember being paralyzed by fear. I remember being so anxious and worrying about what was going to happen to me next. God told me a long time ago, 
Focus on the goodness. Be thankful because there's always something to be thankful for. Even if your life looks like it's falling apart, God put breath in your body, as Sister Tanya said. God is sustaining you. He's given you another day. There's always something to be thankful for and recognize the goodness of God. Let's all lift our hands and thank him for his goodness because we are beyond blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Goodness.